world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. So some okay, so Steven knows who Rob Bricken is. Uh, but Rob Bricken used to write a he used to own like a blog called Topless Robot, which was really excellent, like news, like nerd news type thing. That you were embarrassed to Steven read. Steven and I both miss him because it was like a really good balance of like comic books and anime and like just kind of like good takes. I'm vaguely aware of it, but I don't think I've ever read any of those articles. We, we've talked yeah. about it, I think, on the podcast before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he now writes for Gizmodo, I think, or io9, one of those yeah. two. Or this thing is the same thing. He used to be the editor, and now he's not. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote an article recently for Boba Fett, for the book of Boba Fett. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he didn't get it. Because the article title, or, some, or something about the article was like, how the book of Boba Fett really humanizes the Tuscans, really makes Anakin look even more like a villain than he already did for his murder spree on the Tuscan Raiders in, I think it was Attack of the Clones. Yeah, because he didn't just kill the men. Yeah, yeah, no, he killed the women <laughs> and the children. <laughs> he slaughtered them. They were animals, and he slaughtered them like animals. <laughs> yeah, so he... <laughs> so so that's what, like, his part... That, that's not even what the whole article was about. That was just kind of like a paragraph that he's talking about how, like, that's, like, a really good, like, not retcon, but, like, it really amps that kind of sense of him becoming a bad person in retrospect. By like doing this right because if you know you watch book of boba fett and you go back and watch the prequels you're like oh he a jerk he a super jerk face <laughs> see i want to i can't uh, wait till the the pandemic is like good and gone because i can't wait to go to comic-con and like say mm-hmm. hello there to a whole room of people <laughs> just so i get general kenobi you know like i want to yeah. i want to get that reaction but i'm just there's not a big <laughs> enough crowd you know but uh but yeah so so he wrote that right and uh and a lot of people especially on tiktok were like just i guess quote unquote roasting him because they were like oh my gosh look at this guy he didn't he didn't get that anakin was a villain and blah 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 and it's like did you not read it like how bad is reading comprehension with gen z nowadays like come on like read the article he doesn't he doesn't say it makes him evil he said it makes him look even more evil than he already like was becoming i don't know it's just, it's just Stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's the <laughs> it's the dunk culture. It's the hot takes culture. Uh, that granted, I love that culture. I like being part of that culture. But when, <laughs> it is fun to. But go, when I see, like get somebody really good. Yeah, but when it's not done properly, I hate it. Yeah. Well, and part of the problem is that we now live in a uh, in an ecosystem where some people monetize the dunk culture and they get their like ad revenue from hate clicks. Because they have a bad take and people read the bad take so that they can dunk on the bad take. And doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's still eyes on the page. That's still ad revenue. See, that's why we need to that's why we need to pivot and just flip our whole comic book list upside down. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. No, oh, no. No. Welcome to the superhuman registration <laughs> takes cast. Yeah. Where we aspire to be Twitter's main character every week. <laughs> oh, God. This is the Kevin Smith Should Write More Comics podcast. <laughs> Norman Osborn did nothing wrong. Oh, oh God. No, but he did, though. 
I see. I can't even do it for a bit. <laughs> you poor naive kind soul. Speaking of the list, that's what we're here to do. I uh, we're the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We read and rank comics, uh, specifically Marvel comics. Uh, specifically, specifically anything that happens to be on the Marvel <laughs> Unlimited app, even if it wasn't originally published by Marvel Comics, which is how we wind up with so much weird old Star Wars stuff. But anyway, John, Aldo, how are you guys doing tonight? I don't, I don't, I don't understand the comic I'm supposed to summarize. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you want to trade? It's, it's a Claremont <laughs> X-Men story. How difficult could it be? John, even I read it. You know how I feel about Claremont. <laughs> More like Claire Less. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I was really confused, though, at the beginning. Like, I, it was, you know what? It, the problem is is that it, it wasn't the story I was expecting, and I kept expecting it to turn into a different story, and so I was lost the whole time, and then it ended so abruptly. Even for, you know, a wordy Chris Claremont uh, book from the 80s, I was still like, uh, what? <laughs> All right. John, All this, right. Is, this, is, this is John in a car in New York and being like, no, no. The Golden Gate Bridge is around here. I promise. <laughs> hey, we'll get there. I, I get the next, the, the next right turn, it'll be there. I get the joke, but actually, I, I, I'm really good at geography. So shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like John going into an Italian restaurant and ordering escargot. Oh no, because because I nope. <laughs> it is too easy to uh, make a French joke. So. I'm just me looking through comics going, eh, how did I get here? But not like, I don't got a metaphor. You, that's, you guys can do I'm, that. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I would have chimed in earlier, but I, I got really stuck in my head about trying to make an SUV escargot joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the and joke. It, <laughs> that is the joke. The snail goes to the car dealership and says... I'd like to get a new Cadillac, and they say, "All right." And now I want you to put an S on each and on all the doors, on the front and on the back and on the roof. And they say, "Well, what do you want that?" And he goes, "Well, when I drive by, I want everyone to say, look at that S car go." <laughs> That's the joke. <laughs> it's the real. Come on, it was all in right, trading. Well, our Shut up. Just got shorter because John just got fired. <laughs> Hey, hey, I'm just bringing, you know what, you know what, it was relevant, it doesn't, it wasn't good, it wasn't good, but if, I mean, you, there was a snail joke to be made, and I made it, shut your face. Man, John, I would not be surprised if after that you could put, like, your knee behind the back of your head, because that was such a stretch. <laughs> S-Cargo oh SUV, I don't know what else you want from me, so I, we read Magic. More SUV. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, timely, um, speaking of Russians being in places where they don't belong. Oh, um, <laughs> don't like that joke. Oh. Nope. <laughs> I love that joke. Nope. It's not a good joke. Good Good luck to... We read magic. Good luck um, to Ukraine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just want Steven to go, oh! <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> John, he just, he just, in my, he just metamorphosized into Hank Hill in my head. The boy ain't right. <laughs> I still haven't ever seen that series. And the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, wait, no, it's not. Because, like, the people who, I, who liked it when I was growing up mm -hmm. are the people who were like the people on the show. 
and mm-hmm. you, I forgot that it's Mike Judge, right? And so it's yeah. going to be funny, and it's going to be well-written. And, like, you know, I, I have seen one whole episode, and it was very good. So it's – it's I need to just, like, make it a priority. Like you, I always say the that. One, the one episode I will always recommend is the one where – <laughs> where Peggy accidentally smuggles a child across the border, <laughs> across the Mexican border. Isn't she a Spanish teacher, but she's an awful Spanish yeah. teacher? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the whole joke. <laughs> that is the punchline is how bad she is. All right. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's one of my favorite episodes. Anyway, John, why don't you go ahead and summarize this book? So we read Magic or Storm and Ilyana Magic or Magic, Ilyana and Storm. Anyway, written by Chris Claremont, illustrated by John Bushema, 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 uh, Ron Friends, Sal Bushema, and Tom Palmer. Um, this came out between 83 and 84. Um, and I tried to read the X-Men, Uncanny X-Men 160, where we kind of get hints of Belasco up to no good. But basically, this is how um, Magic, the younger sister of Colossus, um, Ilyana Nikolaevna Rasputin, ends up uh, growing up in hell. Uh, limbo, to be precise. Um, she is captured by Belasco, and um, over the course of this series, has to fight evil versions of all of her closest X-Men allies, namely Storm, um, Shadow Cat, who becomes just Cat. Um, at one point, she fights Nightcrawler as well. And I think she doesn't fight her brother. She just finds his, like, uh, metal skeleton, like or his skeleton with some metal parts to it, so we know it's Colossus. I don't know. I like my Colossus with a beard, personally. But, and a chest. Um, and a chest, yes. Yeah, he's just a ribcage, isn't he? It's sad. Um, but she is abducted into Limbo and is um, just slowly corrupted um, and just right there, like, maybe she's going to turn good, maybe she's going to turn bad. Um, she kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, she kind of, like, enjoys some of the power that she gets from Belasco. Um, but most of the time she's just like, what? What? What's happening to me? What? She figures out her mutant powers teleportation while she's there. Um, she ages in unpredictable ways. By the time she's done, she has uh, turned 14. But Belasco wants to... Um, summon elder gods to destroy earth um, and he makes bloodstones from parts of her soul she is able to summon her soul sword and uses that to confront uh, Belasco this is so hard to follow <laughs> guys like <laughs> basically it's I thought it was she was gonna get thrown in hell be all by herself and have to like fight demons and toughen up you know being in like this limbo wasteland and stuff and she kind of does she fights you know sim she fights these um, evil versions of her x-men uh, friends you know uh, but most of the time is like what is going on why what is going on with storm we see kitty pride who's become corrupted and wants to be called cat she gets transformed into a more cat like woman storm uh, there's like a version of storm in limbo that is um has still her mutant powers but then like powers of the mystic arts and trains Ilyana and um subsequently like, she dies at one point, but then she's, like, a, a corrupted version of herself. It's very confusing to me what happens in what order. She doesn't, like, it's not like every issue she ages one year. It might be a couple. It might be one. It's very, like, hard to follow. Uh, 
she like there are, there are hops in time she eventually yes she kills storm to free her from Belasco's plans where he's going to sacrifice her she um you know wrestles with her role in all of this guys help me out i i cannot make heads or tails of this nonsense <laughs> i i like i was i kept reading i was like but why 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 are, why like she's okay somehow has a sword at some point right like we're gonna get her yeah sword. okay so like i just okay so yeah there was like tag me in john go go Aldo, go <laughs> Uh, so during some sort of expedition or fight, uh, Kitty Pride gets not Kitty Pride. Sorry, I'm already ruining See? this. I've already See? messed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, so six year old Ileana gets pulled into limbo, where she meets like alternate dimensions, or alternate dimension versions of Storm and Kitty Pride. I'm kind of just going over the stuff you've already said, because in that in a in an alternate timeline slash universe slash whatever, it, the opposite happened where Ileana was able to escape Limbo, and all of the other X-Men got caught there. So Kitty's, like, super resentful. Belasco wants to train Ileana to be his, like, you know, protege or whatever. So he starts teaching her dark magic. Storm, who in that timeline slash Limbo lost her mutant powers, embraced magic, became a sorceress, and is teaching Ileana light magic, and Kitty is just teaching her how to be a badass with a sword. Sorry, I use use the A word. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's teaching Ileana how to be uh, a bamf with a sword. Hey, that's relevant because Nightcrawler is in here. Nightcrawler. <laughs> Nightcrawler. <laughs> so time does pass by. She ages seven years while she's in there. She at some point she becomes like Belasco's kind of full on apprentice. Uh, Storm dies and she kind of gets real sad about the whole thing and she's like, "No, I want to be a good person." But I really like the power that I get from being able to wield the dark magic. And she escapes Velasco and she tries to like copy or embrace Storm's teachings, but that's not really working out. And then she realizes that that's because Storm really wanted life. Like she wanted stuff to grow and stuff to like be alive. That's not what Elena wants. She wants revenge. Which is how she manifests her soul, her soul sword. Yeah, she creates a sword uh, after... instead of an acorn, which is a hoot. Yes, <laughs> right. The acorn. She could never get the mm-hmm. acorn right, but she got a sword. I think if I could choose acorn or sword, she made the right choice. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I love that part because she's also like, she's also like, oh wow, the sword was easy. I could have done this years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Would have saved us several pages of yeah. confusion and nonsense. So now that she's. Uh, She's the avatar of Limbo. She's mastered the three elements. Light, <laughs> dark, and swords. Um, <laughs> she goes to challenge the Limbo Lord, Belasco, <laughs> on the night of the... <laughs> Anyways, that's going too far. Oh so she goes to challenge Belasco as she's kind of embracing like this rage and hatred and, and killing him. She usurps him as the... I don't want to say Demon King, the, just the Queen of Limbo, I guess. Mm-hmm. She starts like, growing horns and stuff. And she stops uh, before she kind of lets it fully envelop her and take over. And Belasco's like, you could have you could have killed me. Like, you had the power. And she's like, hey, buddy, shut up. I still bested you. Go away. So he, like, leaves. And, uh, and she uses her... Oh, yeah, she also discovers her mutant power, which is to create portals in Limbo. They call them stepping discs, which is a reference to Discworld. Is it a reference to Discworld? I found out. It is. It's cool. a reference to some sort of science fiction novel, but I didn't know it was Discworld. Uh, no, Ringworld or something like that. Yeah, because I didn't think it was one I'd actually read. I've read some Discworld, though. 
Discworld, okay. Ring yeah. World, Lord of the Rings. Nerds. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so she does. She uses that, and she's able to get back out into her reality out of limbo. But she has aged seven years, and they pull her out, and she's like, "Hey, hey, you're old now." And she's like, "Cool." And then she meets. She sees the new mutants, and then she joins them. Also, there's a little bit where, like, she's practicing, or not practicing, I think she's, like, panicking and using her stepping discs, or whatever they're called, and she sees the new mutants before she meets them Yeah. in actuality, and they're like, that's not her, she's too young, because she's she has aged some years, but not all the years by the time she would meet them. Anyways, there we go. I got you, John. I appreciate that, because I know all these characters, and I know that... <laughs> Ileana is like a big deal and I, I like her whole look and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Boy, I could not follow this. <laughs> now, just eh, Belasco is creepy. Like at one point, he's like, This is who you'll become. And he like ages her up until she's legal, it felt like. It was just oh, very, very. Yeah. Ugh. I don't. God, it's, it's so weird because I don't want to make this about that. You kind of have to talk about it, though. Yeah, not. Okay, living in a not. It's not post. Because we're still mid Me Too world, uh, stuff like that has like a different subtext to it. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Because you know, I think ten years ago, I'd have been like, "Oh yeah, of course he's gonna steal her." Oof. You know, she's got, she's got the power. She's she, you know, she has the possibility of being the best demon girl, whatever, right? But now in the in the climate that we live in, he steals this little girl and is keeping her there and aging her up. I'm like, "Yeah, you a groomer? Yeah, we're, we're yeah. Chris Hansen at absolutely. We're Chris Hansen at." um yeah no here's the thing i love this story i think it's fantastic the 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 relationship between belasco and iliana uh super creepy and it does not like it makes me not want to revisit this story i like Mm -hmm. iliana's story arc in this era though um starting here and kind of ending with inferno uh, it's fantastic, and this story is such a big part of it, and it all kind of centers around that, that you know, Ileana is trying to learn sorcery, and she's learning sorcery from Belasco, and she likes what Belasco teaches her, but Belasco's way isn't her way. She wants to have Storm's way, but Storm's way isn't her way, and so it's finally when she realizes that she can't manifest the acorn, and she manifests the soul sword instead, and that's when everything clicks for her. That's a really good arc, and it's it's a tragic arc, because it's this character who was, like, so innocent and pure, and she is not innocent and pure anymore, and doesn't want to be, which is kind of like a weird sort of metaphor for growing up. And so, like, all of that stuff really works, and I, I just find it really engaging, Velasco, man, you creepy. Yep. I like the part where Kat takes her as her sword apprentice. And like the first thing she does is like, hey, little girl, now we're both wearing cat suits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was hilarious. That like she has, she takes her with her. And the, like one of the first things she does is she like, she puts her like in a leotard. And I'm just like, where, where did, where did you pull that from? Can you pray? We spend way too much time on this podcast criticizing the clothing like the apparel of female superheroes cat's outfit is atrocious yeah that (laughs) side slit that goes up to her armpit it's like good gracious it's like the borat swimsuit and and like all of iliana's stuff is not great like varying degrees of 
you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it wouldn't bother me as much if it weren't for Belasco. Because it's like, yeah. girls yeah. wear different outfits. She's in the sort of, like, medieval time period where, like, not really medieval time period. It's limbo. It's technically no time period. But, you know, having, like, some of the tunics <laughs> and some of the other stuff, probably not that big a deal. Uh, even, like, right. her clothing getting a little bit destroyed. Yes, that's going to happen uh, it, when you have these sorts of energy combat things going on. But the minute you put Belasco in there, who's like, ooh, my precious, uh, I can't wait to grow old together with you once you actually get old. And, uh, it's so creepy. It's like yeah. uh, Matt Gates, ruler of limbo. Um, his <laughs> yeah, his his default uh, expression is like he has a resting leer face. And I'm not <laughs> talking about the Shakespeare one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, ugh, I really do like Ileana's arc in this story. The end. Yes. I I really like her arc. I really like the supporting cast. Probably, well, not the whole supporting cast, right? Two thirds of it, because one of them's a little creepy. <laughs> Magic Weinstein. Um, <laughs> Let but have it. <laughs> I really like the supporting cast and how they work, right? Because it's not just good versus evil. Because obviously, you do have Belasco, who is evil, and you have uh, Storm. Who is trying to be good, but was also an apprentice to Belasco and has actively worked to not be him, even though she has like, you know, kind of become like a mirror of Belasco. And then you have Kitty Pride, who is so kind of jaded by this whole this whole magic crap. Like <laughs> she's just done with it, right? She's like, you screw magic. This is is if it bleeds, I can kill it. Like, that's just kind of her her philosophy at that point. Magic, great. You can you can make an acorn storm? Cool. I'm a cat now. I'm a literal <laughs> cat person. Yeah, so I, so I, I really like that kind of dynamic. Horrifying. So I really like that dynamic, right? Because Storm is really kind of trying to teach her control, trying to teach her some, give her some sort of moral guidance, while Belasco is kind of giving her the power, and she's really liking and embracing that, and she's trying to live up to Storm's ideals. And then you have Kitty Pride here, who's just like an anarchist, who's tired of, of magic, and she's like, here's a sword, kid. Let's cut some stuff up. So, like, it's really, like, interesting how these three characters shape so much of this one. Yeah. And by the end of the book, she really does feel like she has learned a lot from different things from each of these characters. And I thought that was really well done for such a short book. It doesn't feel short because it has Chris Claremont as, as a writer, but uh, I really like that dynamic i think i think it worked out really well it's good versus evil versus pragmatism yeah mm. yeah well now that it's framed that way i kind of want to reread it but boy <laughs> yeah like this is I, I i have the advantage of having read it before um mm -hmm. so this is not my first time going through it and i'll admit the acorn sword thing didn't click with me the first time but the second time i was like oh oh and it makes the story work just because you know the acorn sword thing is explored in the text boxes and nobody yeah. reads text boxes in comics. <laughs> I think this is one of those stories that would really benefit from, I don't want to say like remaking it, because I think there is, as much as I don't like it, you know, there is certainly a, an art and the craft to Chris Claremont's writing. And obviously the art itself, I thought was really well done. Yeah. But I think this is one of those things that could definitely benefit from like an animated film. Yeah. Or, or something like that, or, or just a really good TV adaptation. Yeah. Because it's a really well done story, and I think it could just really work, but like, I, I yeah, I don't know. I it's, still want... It is a little convoluted and hard to read. It can get an animated version only if it doesn't do the DC animated movie thing where they make it inexplicably, like, 
more graphic and darker for no real reason. Just adapt this as it is and it would be great. You can't do it too close because that's one of the failings of uh, Dark Knight Returns is it's like straight lifted from the comic without really doing much to, you know, make it different for the, like the, like the art looks exactly the same. They just animated it and it's, I don't know. I think that they could have expanded a little bit and made it more interesting. Well, it's still better than Batman Ninja. I see. I haven't even bothered. <laughs> There's like 23 different Batman titles on HBO Max and I'm just like, ah. John, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to tell you one thing that sounds like it should be cool, <laughs> but it's stupid. Uh, yeah. But it's really stupid. <laughs> In feudal Japan, the Joker becomes the daimyo and leader of five different villain clans. And to fight Batman, they take their castles and they make them into a Power Ranger style robot. No. And you're telling me this is bad? Yes. Uh. <laughs> It doesn't sound like it should be, right? No, it sounds like it, it should be. It awful. sounds like it should be really cool. Okay, okay, so the, the okay, so part of what makes it dumb is that Batman fights him with like also a big robot that's also made of bats. <laughs> Again, sounds awesome. <laughs> it does. Anyways, this isn't the Batman cast. <laughs> what I was gonna say is I still want Anya Taylor Joy to play magic, but in a better movie than New Mutants. Because there there was there was something there and it just they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. It was not as bad as I thought it was because I waited to watch it until my expectations were super low. But I thought like that could have been a really interesting, you know, let's take a superhero movie, but let's make a horror movie. Um, and there were there were, you know, good stuff there, but no. Just they they didn't quite get it. Um, Did you guys see New Mutants? Am I just not yet, no. no. I, I actually do want to <laughs> see it. Again, because I, I want to see it. Good. Yeah. yeah, I would love and to see it. There's there's parts of it where it's like, all right, we're doing the thing, yeah. And then parts of it's like, ugh, what? Uh. That's. I know. I know we're supposed to be talking about this book, and I, there is we'll more get to say back about to it. it. Eventually. <laughs> but, but I will say that that is actually my biggest disappointment about the the Sony, you know, the Fox buyout is that I felt like what Sony was doing with the X-Men movies was really good. Maybe the, the movies themselves. The movies? Yeah, sorry, the oh, okay. Fox. I was like, what Sony movies I, are you talking about? I want to, wait, 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 what? Sorry, what Fox was doing with those, with the X-Men movies was really good, even if the movies themselves weren't good, which was that they were giving us the not, the, the weird stuff, right? Like, this was kind of a little bit before James Gunn and, like, uh, Thor Ragnarok kind of hit the scene. So we were going to get, like, the movies that weren't the traditional movies. And we weren't going to get, like, the clean, like, family-leaning stuff of Marvel. And we weren't getting the edgelord, uh, too too dark for your grandma, uh, you know, Snyderverse stuff. But we were getting, like, weird stuff. We were getting, like, Logan. We were getting Deadpool. We were, you know, they were trying new mutants. Like, it was... I was really excited to see what all they were going to do with, like, X-Men. Because it seemed like nothing was really off limits. Mm -hmm. But then stuff started bombing and they got bought out. And that made me real sad. Okay, back to the comic. The artwork, I agree. Like, the character designs are overall really good. I think the artists do a good job of the facial expressions. There was one thing that I noticed, and it happened a couple of times. Um, issue 3 has a pretty prime example of it. Uh, issue 3 is actually... Uh, drawn by Ron Friends. Um, page, I actually, okay, I guess it actually happens twice. Page four and page eight have a particular layout that just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's where you have three panels, two of them on the left stacked on top of each other, and then one tall panel on the right as 
you know, tall as the other two panels. And the problem is, since you read comics left to right, it's never entirely clear if you were supposed to read first the upper left panel, then the panel on the right, then the lower left panel, or if it's the upper left panel, then the lower left panel, and then the panel on the right. Um, the lettering does a good job of trying to draw your eye around. Um, they position the, the text boxes, like, in a spot where it's like, the next text box is overlapping the panel on the right, so you know that you read there, and then it kind of loops around to take you back to the panel on the bottom left. Doesn't, doesn't really work for me. It, it's a bit too clumsy. I, I, now that I've, like, noticed it, I can't unsee it, and I don't like it. Um, but that's not, you know, the, the drawings themselves, that's more the layout, and it, it just, I don't like it. It seems petty to call it out. But it's, it's one of the main, like, craft... It's the only craft decision in this book that I was like, nope, don't approve. Well, it makes me feel a little better that I was confused by everything. <laughs> yeah, you can just chalk it up to the that. The layout was working against me as well as, you know... Yeah. No, I... I, I don't know. I just... Um, I don't know. I want to reread it, but is there, like, a cringe-free cut? You can just nope. do that. Nope. No. Because here's the thing, Chris Claremont, mad horny. <laughs> no, no, these outfits yeah. just, uh, they're just drawn that way. And sometimes, sometimes it's, it's really sketchy. Like, dealing with underage girls, that's no, no, who let Chris Claremont write teenagers? That's all I gotta say. It's... Yeah, she, she rarely looks like a kid, though. Like, you know, she is, like, noticeably younger, but it's still that comics thing where, like... You know, unless it's an infant. And even then, we've had some, like, babies <laughs> with people faces. Um, now, I, wanted to, I was going to say that, like, any excuse they can have where it's like, all right, Storm is going to be uh, clothed only in ripples or bits of cloud or yeah. um, hair or, you know, whatever. Yeah. For Storm, that works, weirdly. Like, because that's sort of an established part of her character is that she's very comfortable. Uh, at least in the Claremont era, she's nude quite a bit. And also, she's, you know, more of an adult than Ileana. That's the bit. That's the bit that gets me. Yeah. She is a baby child. But yeah, like, overall, I think this is a really solid story. Just the Belasco stuff. Yeesh. Also, I, I like the character design for Sim, in particular. There are two major demons in Inferno. There's Sim and Nastier. Sim has got the best design of the two. And I just love, he's this, you know, big burly guy with like curly hair and a chompy cigar. It's, it's pretty great demon stuff. But I mean, I think that's all I've got. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about this story? No, but I, I don't know. I uh, sometimes feel like I'm just too dumb for the media that I consume. <laughs> You know, it's re it's really just really super obvious that that was the watcher. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about my earlier idios idiocy. No. <laughs> hey, can we talk about cat's tail being fleshy and gross? And oh, the, is it at real? The end, at the end of at the end of the story, her um, Ilyana's demon tail is fleshy and gross. Ugh. Gross. Yeah, cat's tail is skin colored, not fur. Skin. That's about the grossest <laughs> thing I could think of. But anyhow, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I said it already. I really like the whole dynamic. I really like how at the end of the comic, it really does feel like like she really learned stuff from the different characters and really kind of embraced it to become her own person. And the whole, the whole, and the whole motif 
Not motif. What am I? What's the word I'm looking for? And the whole idea of her kind of being corrupted and being like this revenge-seeking girl, having had her like her purity stolen from her—that is a gross sentence. Having <laughs> her innocence, you know, kind of warped from taken away from her. Right? She didn't have that choice when she got pulled into limbo. Like just that whole thing, I thought was really well done. Yeah, and it's it, it could have been it could have been done in half the amount of words. But yes, <laughs> it's got all of the gross subtext. Like, here's the thing. This is so close. Turns out I have something else to say about the story. This story is so close to being like a really almost tasteful way of dealing with like child abuse. Um, but then it kind of leans into its own fetishes a little too hard. And Belasco isn't content to leave things on the level of subtext. It, it almost becomes text with him. And it's just like, ugh. It, it, it's too rough at a certain point. I'm grateful for the uh, ink and shadow work done, particularly page 16 in the comic, 17 in the app of issue 3. Do you think me so easily slay Nororo? Where he's, like, Belasco's just got, like, he's just planted a knee firmly, and thank goodness he's in shadow, because he is just naked as crap right there, and I don't want any of that. <laughs> it's like, I'm Master of Limbo. It's like, get some pants on, Master of Limbo. Anyhow. And then, they, and then two two short demons come by with a stick, and they're like, "The master of limbo." Okay, Aldo. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's originally what Claremont wanted to use the soul sword for. Was like, "Hey, hey see if you can get under it." <laughs> yeah, little little, little known uh, trivia is that the the original script for this for this book was uh, was sealed away, and recently, not that recently, it was about ten years ago. Was rediscovered and used for an episode of Futurama. Oh yeah, yeah, where uh, Hermes uh, mm-hmm. is the champion. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. I just picture Stephen shaking his head in the in the in the stadium while you're pulling me across the finish line of the joke in a little red wagon. Like, hey, John, come here. Funny is this way, you dumb dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay that got me um <laughs> should we move on to iron man oh oh yeah going from bad to worse in my mind <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah ready. sure yeah okay so uh oh yeah it's my turn again <laughs> yeah so this is a follow-up to because this isn't, this isn't like a side comic too or a tiny bit there's a follow-up to the event of uh, Axis, in which the Avengers and the X-Men team up to fight the Red Skull and his merry group of villains. And in which, like, uh, the Scarlet Witch and Doom detonate a psychic bomb that reverses everybody's morality. And then Doom releases a second one to reset everything, but then Tony Stark is like, Aha, I have a psychic shield. So he doesn't revert. Which is why he's still evil post the Axis event when, like, everybody has gone back to normal. So this kind of picks up with him staying evil. This is also taking place in is it San Francisco, which yep. I think this was, like, right, right around the time when Marvel offices had moved there. So you had a lot of heroes who were typically New York heroes now hanging out in California for better and worse. So Iron Man has released an app version of the extremist that he calls Extremist 3.0 that lets people change stuff about themselves. And it's on a free trial. And once that free trial is up, people are hooked, but it costs $100 a day. So he's just kind of Mark Zuckerberging everybody really hard. <laughs> We're making all kinds of friends this uh, this podcast. Yeah. 
And Daredevil is trying to kind of talk some sense into him, trying to figure out what's going on. They're going to fight. He gives him sight. He doesn't like it, but he goes to go see his friend Foggy, and which is kind of like a sweet moment before he loses the blindness because the free trial stuff. That happens. He eventually... That eventually doesn't really end up anywhere, I think. I think... Uh, yeah, I think Daredevil just kind of ends up in a hospital. He fights... Seems a little anticlimactic. Yeah, well, he fights with Tony um, after losing his sight again, and then Tony erases his memory like knocks him oh back right out. yeah right that's right he, he uses that yeah also like matt had figured out that because of the structure of the new extremist which is based on symbiote i guess dna or structure king and black tie is oh yeah king of black tie yep <laughs> anyways <laughs> yeah he figured out because the new extremist was based on symbiote like structure that it's technically a virus and like tony has to be nearby anyways none of that really matters because he does that to him right at the same time there's a new villain called teen abomination who's a 13 year old kid who was exposed to gamma radiation and calls himself that turns out his he is happy hogan's like uh out of wedlock son he when he triggered his uh, gamma transformation he thought he killed his mom plot twist he didn't. She's okay. She just recovered at the end of the book off screen. And then he goes to go visit her. So again, something that kind of ends up not meaning anything. And then towards the end of the book, kind of in the third act, Pepper Potts has been working to thwart his evil plans by not letting him buy out Viacom. Or sorry. Uh, downloading, <laughs> downloading old Tony, Tony, like 1.5 from his archives as a <laughs> contingency plan in case he ever went evil. It kind of doesn't work because old Tony is still kind of a bit of a jerk. So, in, so he's, you know, they're kind of, he's fighting with himself. Less evil Tony is fighting more evil Tony. Again, that kind of doesn't really mean much. A lot of this book feels like it doesn't mean much at the end of its own arcs. And I hate that. As I'm re as a as I'm kind of retelling the story. <laughs> oh, and then it gets worse because none of it actually means anything at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Pepper Potts eventually kind of she she thinks she takes Tony down by using like a sound cannon. He's been pretending that she, that he let her do that, or he's pretending that she did that because he let her do that to trick her to think that they took him down. He wipes out all of the old Tony stuff and kind of goes off to do his own thing. And that's kind of the end of the book, except well, part of the yeah is that he also has like his army of Iron Man's, which I can't remember. Are they hunting him or is he just with them now? At the end, yeah. Anyways, it doesn't matter because Tony, <laughs> Tony dies in in Secret Wars when a plane lands on him. Yeah, this this <laughs> is directly leading into Secret Wars, and it just ends. Uh, that's the yeah. most disappointing part of the whole thing to me. Yeah. Which I think I think part of it, I think it was supposed to go for a few more issues, but the timing for it just didn't match up, so they had to just kind of cut it, and which is why it feels so like like it ends just so abruptly, right? Especially the whole like last couple chapters, which is just like Tony being like, "Hi, I outsmarted you." Nuh-uh, I outsmarted you, Robot Tony. Uh-uh, I outsmarted you, Evil Tony. Right? Like, it just kind of feels a little bit like that. And then it just ends. And then the next time you see him, he's fighting old Captain America for some reason. And the Ultimate and 616 universes are colliding. And then, like, a plane lands on him. Which sounds even more anticlimactic than this whole thing already is, right? Because he's already survived a whole bunch. And a plane lands on him. Well, to be fair, what sort of death does Iron Man really deserve? 
a painful one. I mean, <laughs> no, I. So I went into this like, oh, okay. Um, I, th- I thought this was the I think immortal Iron Man where um, Doctor Doom is Iron Man for a bit. No, then, that's the one that happens. I think after Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah. That's actually what I thought this was going to be too. <laughs> Yeah. No. So I was reading it and I was like, "Oh I man, you. is this why? Is this why Steven hates Iron Man? He sucks." Uh, forgetting about Axis. So okay, okay, but here's the thing, though. <laughs> is there a meaningful difference between this Iron Man and regular Iron Man? Not really, because this one goes full Reed Richards. <laughs> and to be fair, he really wasn't that far from it. Yeah, it's like. This is not that different from the way Tony Stark normally acts. I'm not, I'm, no. I'm sorry. Okay, well, not. like, okay, this is like mustache twirling evil, not rich guy evil. Ironically, like, he doesn't have the mustache. Get, like, it's the full beard. It's Steven, a goatee, you don't. I know you don't wear glasses, but every time you say something like that, I picture you pushing them up and um actually me. But <laughs> anyhow. Hey, it was relevant. It came up. He comes face to face with, like, the, the version, the, the old version of himself, and it's from the time when... Tony Stark just had a mustache in the comics. So he just has a mustache. Yeah. So the robot one doesn't twirl his just mustache and uh, evil Silicon Valley Tony does. Um, Yes. But yeah, like they're still... It's just like his normal, like what if he was really in it to be a jerk? What would that be like? (laughs) And this is what it's like. Yeah. It's like, what if the capitalist went out of his way to make money? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I really like the part. Like. <laughs> so, like, actually, what, for me, one of the standout moments in this book, which there aren't many, I feel like, but for me, one of the standout moments is when he gives Daredevil his vision back. Yeah. And uh, Daredevil gets angry, right? He gets mad. He's like, who gives? Who, what gave you this right? Like, who do you think you are? You're playing God, says the Christian. And then Tony, the atheist, goes, no. I am a god. This whole time I'm pretending to be human. I am a god. Calm down, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but that whole thing with Daredevil is really good. And when it ends and Daredevil's oh, yeah. like, what am I going to do with this last little bit of vision? He, he goes and he sees his friend Foggy just so he can that, actually look at him. That's really that, good. That was really That's a good. really good moment. Yeah. I feel I feel that as a Daredevil comic, this was better than an Iron Man comic. Absolutely. And then <laughs> yeah. Daredevil was not in the comic anymore. And then nothing and then, he did mattered. Right. <laughs> and I keep expecting all of these heroes to come back. Not just Daredevil, She-Hulk was in this too, remember? Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Tough just to show how tough Kit yeah, Teen Abomination is. I, I okay. <laughs> that was one of my favorite ongoing jokes about this book. Is how much Tony hates the name Team Abomination. Yeah. Again, completely indistinguishable from the way Tony Stark normally acts. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It feels like rich, like smart dudes are just kind of jerks. Good thing, good thing we don't, you know, have anything like that in the real world. Now he gets it. <laughs> the only good billionaire is Batman. Uh, mm, no. <laughs> Arguably Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. Yes. At least he goes on adventures, and he takes his family with him. He's not, uh, I mean, he's not giving it away, but he's also not using it for anything except for repairing his plane and getting to exotic locations, you know. And it's like the one good role t- David Tennant has had. What do you mean the one? Wait, Oh, remember that time I killed Aldo? Oh. <laughs> remember that time John learned to harness the power of the internet and choke me through my microphone? <laughs> 
Broad Church, that piece of that crap. <laughs> Did we, uh, yeah, Broad Church is good. Did we? It is uh, good. <laughs> Go over the creative team. You know, I did not do that. Give me. <laughs> oh, sorry. This is. Please save me, John. Tag me. Tag me the, out. I got you. I got you. The writer is Tom Taylor. Um, Yildere Sinar. I apologize for my mispronunciation. Is the artist. Guru FX is the colorist. VC is Clayton Cowles is the letterer. Uh, Mike Choi did the cover. Um, at least for this last one. I, I, the, like, the, the art was not great. Um, some of it was just fine. Um, but I, I don't know if it was the, the inking of it or, like, I, I can't put my finger on what made it kind of, like, subpar in my mind. I don't know. Um. Me neither, because I didn't think it was that bad. It's, it's fine, I, I but, quite, like. I quite liked it. Eh. I thought it was, like, okay. So I liked it in the sense that. It didn't offend me. It really felt just like solid, you know, base level comic book art. Which, gosh, that sounds like an insult, but it's really not. Because I wish I could draw that good. I was going to say, you have to be really good to be in comics. And, like, the poses are good. Like, I think that, uh, you know, dumb name aside, you know, Teen Abomination, like, there's some there's some cool action poses in here. And anytime, like, you know, Iron Man's in the suit, not when he's showing his face, like all the movies. I hate that, by the way. I don't know if I've said that. I hate that Spider-Man pulls off his mask all the time. I hate that Venom pulls his mask off all the time. I hate that Iron Man pulls up. It, like, just, like, keep it on. Like, we get it. Like, I don't care that it's a stunt double in there for half the movie. Like, just, just, like, but, you know, you have to sell the movie. And people come to see the movie star's face. <sighs> yeah. Don't like, I do not like the Iron Man suit. In this, the new yeah, one, the, the the one specifically in Superior Iron Man, where yeah. it shows his face the whole time, like it's it's the Cyclops head sock thing, um, without the <laughs> visor, which makes it worse somehow. Yeah, it looks so weird when it's like it's that. it's just not a good look for the character. But here's the thing, though, like this might be my favorite Iron Man story that we've read. I think we'll have to wait until we get like to the ranking. actually honest about who he is. Yeah, it, it's kind of like... And again, I think we kind of hit on it earlier where the, the people who are fighting against Iron Man are the interesting ones, especially Daredevil. The the stuff with Pepper and the, the old version of Iron Man, I mean, that's only good because it kind of highlights that Tony Stark's always in it for himself. Even the, the backup version of Iron Man is still going to screw Pepper over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like... Turning Iron Man into the villain honestly kind of worked for me. Um, Tom Taylor is interesting, I feel like, as a writer. I have, I'm not super familiar with him, um, but I know he did the the Injustice comic for DC. And so that's like, here are two concepts that shouldn't have worked, but he made them work pretty well. So I don't know, maybe I should read more Tom Taylor. I don't know what Dark Ages is, but the covers look incredible. This oh, is what the that's... Watcher has been watching for. A danger older than the Earth threatens everything. For once, the heroes who have saved the, pla- the planet so many times are powerless in the face of it. X-Men and Avengers assemble. Spider-People and Fantastic Four come together. Heroes for hire. Fight alongside champions. None of it will be enough. The lights are about to go out. The world outside our window is about to end. An all-new saga of the Marvel Universe. So this is like every uh, uh, every event. <laughs> like That just described every event. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean... So I, I like Dark Ages, so I'm in the middle of reading that. I think I'm, like, two issues in. Mm-hmm. I like it because it is, I guess for lack of a better term, it's like an Elseworlds story. So the first issue does end up killing off, like, a lot of heroes. The first issue is also very, like, teen edgy. Oh, my gosh, everybody's dead. Oh, only only the, the hardest of the hard and the toughest of the tough can survive this new 
world type thing, right? But then, like, the, the next issues are kind of like, hey, look, old man Spider-Man. <laughs> I hadn't even heard of it. I, I, so, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it, it uh, just came out. So like, The, the cover is, like, the logo looks like the, the font for the Dark Crystal. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, this and, like, uh, what is it? Amazing Fantasy Volume 3. Because they're doing another one of those. I think that one's a lot more interesting. Because when the heroes die, they go to this like Savage Land type world. And again, Spider-Man gets to meet his Uncle Ben. Who who says everything was a mistake. <laughs> so so Uncle Ben became a millennial. Oh, but everything is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of mistakes, we keep straying away from the topic. What else do we have to say about Superior Iron Man? I... I know you guys don't like the suit. I like the suit. Not the colors, but I like the whole idea of, like, the symbiote suit. I kind of wish it looked a little more symbiote-like to make it a little creepier to kind of drive home the point of, like, creepy evil Stark instead of just, like, Zucker Stark. It's too... (laughs) Elon Stark. Elon Stark. It's too clean. It's, you know, shiny and metallic and uh, ends up making it, you know, bland. Yeah. yeah. I love the fact that he creates like this liquid metal symbiote suit and it still just kind of looks like all the other suits. Yeah. Like you yeah. could have done so many things with that, but you just made it a steel version of your own suit. Boring. <laughs> yeah. I do yeah. think color would have made me like warm up to quite a bit. And it could have even like yeah. played into the story thematically. Now I'm rewriting the story and that doesn't do anybody any good, least of all. <laughs> anyway. Um <laughs> but like you know, he's trying to be like this shining beacon of of you know fun and hope and aspiration for everyone. Uh, having more of a of a traditional superhero look might have contributed to that. I don't know. I just I, I do think it's kind of bland to look at. Um, plus, his face is stupid, and it's the part that's highlighted. <laughs> and his stupid face. I and that's really the thing is like, like Iron Man. I, I like I like movie Iron Man just fine. I do not like comic iron man because i i like uh, you know extremis is as good as it's ever gotten of what we've read of what i've read ever of iron man and that's you know, and i don't mind the prequel like the um lead up to civil war the uh, illuminati you know that that iron man it's fine but i was just thinking what if instead of the red and the gold he had a green and a purple suit and then i was like wait that's every villain can't that's be green literally and purple. <laughs> it's like yeah yeah or the joker you know, or the goblin, like Green Goblin. So it's like, no, nah, green and purple doesn't work. But it is the opposite yeah. of his red and gold. So and and the funny, well, the funny thing is too is that I think the perfect like villain scheme for Iron Man would have been the black, the black and red. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah. the thing is, it in Axis that was his good guy colors, <laughs> uh. which which also explains, which is kind of like I guess a little relevant, right? Because he was in the black, red, and gold, and that explains why like now that he's evil, he's doing the white. And the blue, because it you know contradicts the other colors that he had, but like the illusion yeah. of pl- uh, clean and pure and all that. But really, he's sure, sex. yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, part of the reason I didn't like this is because I was like, man, what the like, what a what an awful guy. Like you know, <laughs> this app that rips you off, like bummed bummed me out. Okay, so here's yeah. the okay. You mentioned Robert Downey Jr. earlier, mm-hmm. like the movie version of of Tony Stark. Sure, yes. this comic is the first comic I've read with Iron Man where I can, like, actually picture Robert Downey Jr. in the role. Mm. Which is, A, I think, again, testament to Tom Taylor as a writer. I think that's pretty interesting that he captured, you know, the Tony Stark as portrayed by RDJ voice. And B, 
further evidence that Tony Stark is just bad in every iteration. So, so que- question, question, you know, completely hypothetical, detached from any reality, speculation, or rumors whatsoever. Uh, how how would you picture uh, Tom Cruise as this Iron Man? Tom Cruise? Oh. Yeah. He never runs. This Iron Man never runs. How can Tom Cruise play him? <laughs> The bottom half of his suit will stop working and he'll have to run. <laughs> every time, every time I think of Tom Cruise, I always think of like that, <laughs> that really badly done trailer to the Mummy reboot where they didn't put in all the sound effects. So you just hear pure Tom Cruise screaming. <laughs> uh, good time. I, I couldn't see Robert Downey Jr. as this because he's softer in the movies. Like, he's a jerk, but it's like, ah, what a jerk. I love that guy. But you shouldn't, because it's the same guy. <laughs> he wouldn't have monetized an app to screw a bunch of people over. He would have just made bombs. He literally <laughs> built an Ultron. And then in order to beat the Ultron, he built another Ultron. Well, what did he have to do? I mean, what choice did he have? He had to beat an Ultron. Uh, he could have put. A, he could have swiped a magnet on his hard drive. Seriously. I think Ultron wouldn't have thought of that. Guys. Anyway, so superior Iron Bezos. Uh, <laughs> you're running out of billionaires, Aldo. Well, there's only there's only one percent of the population, Stephen. There's not many choices. One percent of one percent. Those uh, gates are pretty tight. I, I I'm struggling. I'm struggling to remember the, the the name of the owner of Virgin Mobile. Richard Richard Branson didn't work for. Ah, there it is. Bill Gates. You're still thinking. You're still like Branson. <laughs> Do we have anything else to say about this story? Uh, just just like every single arc in this, none of it means anything, and that makes me sad. <laughs> I did, but and but like still in the middle in the middle of all of this mess, um, I wanted to cry a little bit that Matt Murdock just wanted to see Foggy. Yeah, but okay, that's and I agree. That is a really good moment. Like that, that the Daredevil comic in the Iron Man comic was really good. Yes. Yeah. Not enough to redeem it, but no, no. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What what makes this comic like bad? You, you're talking about it like it needs to be redeemed. What what makes it bad? Like I know you don't really like the art. You're not supposed to like the main character. It was a little mediocre. I in what sense? Well, it just like it didn't feel as polished. It felt like they they drew the character, but didn't add enough of a unique twist on it. Um, the inking did. It, it felt kind of you know clumsy at times. Like the the facial expressions were like I don't know. It's it's just kind of like par. It was just like meh. You know, like okay. they did so, it, but like there wasn't enough of like a unique touch to it. Is it fair to say that it's not? bad but it's just like it didn't do anything for you yeah i think that'd be or is it or do you actively dislike it i think that's what i'm trying to get at no 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 i think that that it'd be fair to say that it yeah it was not bad but didn't do anything for me that's fair okay yeah i was just curious because it's like i don't think we've had anything that's like really damning criticism of it but i at the same time it's like i don't know that i would recommend this over any number of other stories that we've read so i don't i don't know it just yeah, it does fall somewhere in the middle. I think it is pretty good for what it is able to do, and it needed more time. Uh, it needed to bring back all of the characters. It needed to have a, a moment where Tony Stark actually got beaten, but instead it just goes into Secret Wars and the whole thing gets cut off. Yeah, that was not satisfying, but what again? Sometimes, do? I don't know, I, I'm weirdly like fascinated with stories that don't have the opportunity to end, and I think sometimes that makes the story stronger. 
Like, I'm weird about this, but I think Pushing Daisies, my all-time favorite television show, would have been terrible if it had gotten a third season and actually been able to wrap everything up. The fact that they had to end everything, I think, makes the show that much more endearing. But sometimes, like, it doesn't work. And here I think it's because it's building up Tony Stark as the this great new big bad. And it ends before he's really executed his plan and before anybody's ever really able to stop him. So there's zero kind of closure of any kind. No complete arcs for really anyone. And that's a problem. At least with, with like television shows like Pushing Daisies and that sort of thing, you have these sort of like mini arcs that pay off really well. But in this, it's all escalation, escalation, escalation. And it never plateaus and it never pays off in any meaningful way. And it's never going to. And that's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think what's interesting, because I, I agree with you a little bit in the sense that, like, I think these books are interesting, especially when I feel like the setup is as well done as it is here, because it really feels like all of these different strands are leading to something, right? Like this whole Daredevil thing, the whole, even She-Hulk kind of feels like a bit of a planted seed, Teen Abomination, as well as Pepper Potts. Like, it all feels like it's going to lead up to something. And I feel like you can tell, like, maybe around issue six, maybe issue five, that's probably when they got the notice that's like, hey, this isn't going to be able to, like, finish or wrap up in, like, whatever, how many issues we promised you. Uh, Secret Wars is going to start up soon. So, you know, we need you to uh, close things off. Pinch it off, as, as if you will. Yikes. And, <laughs> and... Uh, that's kind of when it starts, right? Because it's right around issue f uh, five or six when the whole Daredevil thing kind of wraps up real fast. And then the whole thing with Kid Abomination. Like that, the Kid, the Teen Abomination thing ends really quickly because we suddenly go from like kind of exploring this maybe relationship where Pepper might be kind of like a, like a maternal figure to this kid who has lost his mom, never knew his dad. And then like suddenly at the end, the, at the end of the whole thing and, you know, typical Tony Stark fashion he's like yeah i kept the truth hidden from you uh she's okay she just woke up the other day she was just like in a coma or whatever you're like oh that's awfully convenient i guess and then you know he powers down now that he knows even though he's not angry that like he kept this from him like it just feels like a lot of it's just a little too convenient right like all everything wraps up too conveniently without any major impact and it feels like it shouldn't have it feels like all of this stuff was leading to something that you just never get there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I've never written a book, so what's up? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of pinching things off, should we move on? Yeah. I, I hate that I introduced that. Yes, please do. Yeah, this is your fault, Aldo. <laughs> so, yeah, we uh, currently have a lot of stories on our list. Holy cow. 183 stories on our list. Our highest rated X-Men story is, I think, Dawn of X Prelude? Yeah. So that's number 11, or number 12, excuse me. Dawn of X Prelude is our highest rated X-Men story, our lowest rated Iron Man story. It's technically like Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk, isn't it? Is Iron Man in that? Oh, Iron Man. I thought, sorry. I, 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 don't, I, I tuned out for a second. I'm sorry. That's no, the Draco. The Draco is our lowest X-Men story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lowest rated X-Men story Second lowest of all. Like, ugh. Yeah, I was looking. Oh, it. Uh, our lowest Iron Man book is apparently Extremis. Unless we call Civil War and uh, we can call Civil War an Iron Man book, I suppose. So, um, yeah, that's one hundred sixty-three. <laughs> okay, so let's start with magic. I mean, I mean, by that logic, 
Marvel Zombies is our lowest rated <laughs> Iron Man book. Oh, I dread October for that reason. <laughs> hey, they've been getting better. Ugh, they're never going to stop making them and we have to keep reading them. Seriously, like our lowest rated Marvel Zombies comic is Marvel Zombies and our highest rated is Marvel Zombies 4. They The, the Marvel Zombies comics have been getting better. Marvel Zombies 11 is going to be like a masterpiece, I bet. <laughs> Doubt. Marvel Zombies number 11 is going to be the new number one. <laughs> it's going to break tears to John's Over eyes. my broken zombie corpse. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we'll all be living in the nuclear holocaust and John will be like, it made me feel something. <laughs> oh, man, it's great that we can joke about everybody dying. <laughs> Wow. World is depressing right now. Anyway, where yeah. do we want to rank magic? Like the card game? <laughs> I I have held that in the whole podcast. Anyways. Oh <laughs> I wanna I wanna put it around where what if magic, but I don't I don't remember how high that was. That's I, kind of high, if I recall. And I actually yeah. think it's higher than this should go. And I say that as yeah. someone who likes it. That's thirty five. So like around there, probably below it. Yeah. I definitely cannot put it above Strange Academy. I was going to say, yeah, Strange Academy is probably better. So, and, and th- this, do we dock this book significantly because of all of the uncomfortable stuff with Belasco? No. You don't think so? No. Okay. I don't think so. I think that works to the advantage. I don't think we're supposed to not find Belasco not creepy. I think, <laughs> fair, yeah. He is I mean, a bad guy. Yeah. See, I would drop it down, yeah, to like 63. So, I know I'm going to lose wow. this one. I just, I'm looking, I'm like... I like Craven's Last Hunt better. I like uh, Wolverine better, you know, but I'm, I know that I'm going to lose this one, so do what know. you want. I don't know. Um, I actually think I agree with Wolverine being better. Like, Wolverine, we've been kind of harsh on because of, like, this weird sort of almost cultural appropriation element to it, right? It's a tighter story, though. <sighs> I don't know that I agree with it being a tighter story. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. I think this was a pretty tight story. Um, but I, I think they're comparable, though, is the thing. They're both Claremont stories about characters who played a significant role in the larger X-Men mythos. Um, they're both very personal stories about those characters. I think it, I think it goes around Wolverine. I might put Wolverine right above it, honestly. Uh, right above Spider-Man? Mm, yeah. I'm okay with that. And I love Spider-Man. Yeah. I'd be okay with maybe putting it beneath Spider-Man, but I do think it's better than Thunder in her veins as a standalone. So it definitely, like, I think that's the territory for it. 55? Yeah, let's do 55. Between Spider-Man and Thunder in her veins. I think it's good. Um, And I think it's almost like, I don't know if it's obscure enough to be called like a buried treasure or something like that, but I do think it's... It's uncommon enough, though, that a lot of people... I've read it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's under discussed and it's it's pretty tight in its own right and it sets up some really good stuff with the character of Ileana later on too. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Superior Iron Man though, where does that go? Well, below Iron Heart at 103. Yeah. I mean, probably. I don't know. I'm going to think about the good parts of it and like what it got right and like I, I, I want to say again, anytime that I'm like meh about a, about a comic book or whatever, these people... It, have you know put their their heart and souls into this i assume you know i hope that nobody's phoning it in 
I think that you wouldn't last long in comics if you were. And so, and, and like, could write and draw me under the table. So let's, you know, I'm not, I don't want to like crap on anybody, but I did not like this book that much. I don't know. I think, I think several people phoned it in on Anthem Blue Cross Presents City Under Siege. You think? <laughs> <laughs> so it goes above that? Well, that's pretty low, isn't it? Yeah, that's at number uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's super oh, low. <laughs> It is a bad Iron Man too. Ugh. <laughs> you know what? I I I think I agree with John. Like I think that might be the right placement. Because here's the thing: what's what? right beneath that is Wait, Nova. Where are we Nova's talking? pretty good. I'm looking at around 103. Oh wow. Oh, I think it goes lower than that. But I'm just like I'm just going down. I don't know if it goes beneath Made in the USA though. Which is the the America Chavez story that we read? Yeah, that one was disappointing. It was disappointing because that, that could be an interesting character, but that story and probably was not. is an interesting so. character. We definitely need to revisit her. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think I would prefer, like, I think I would recommend this over America Chavez made in the USA. I, I genuinely yeah. think I would. Well, there you go, for sure. So I would say let's put there it between. No- My vote is between Nova and and Made in the USA. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm looking below it. I I mean. I like Executioner's song more, but I know that that's that's a no, non-starter. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it. yeah, I guess I executioned that one down. You know what the execution Some... song is? <laughs> I fed my dad baby food. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's the only thing I'm ever gonna remember from Executioner's song is the moment Strife feeds oh, Cyclops. My oh my gosh! I. I hate that. I was trying, I was like, is that a Gerber ad from the, like, 80s or 90s or something? Like, Yeah, yeah I thought that was some weird movie that was you saw. Mess, like, that out was of, messed out of up. The f- no, that was a thing we read. I thought out of the three movies you were going to watch this year, that was a song from one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be in the latter half of Tick, Tick, Boom. I haven't finished it yet. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the Spider-Man musical. The Spider- I mean, yeah, but never mind. Never mind. Y'all have seen, you've seen the clip of the Spider-Man musical where they perform A Freak Like Me Needs Company on the David Letterman show. Yes. Oh, it's so good. I have not seen that. Oh, oh you're missing out, buddy. It doesn't sound like I want to. No, you, like you should. Show. You do. It's so great. I showed it to my coworkers and it was, uh, it was my favorite thing ever. It's why I still have a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, honey, I have bad news. <laughs> I showed my boss a clip from a David Letterman show episode. <laughs> uh, fun fact: the performer who played Spider-Man in Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark is currently co-starring opposite the performer who played the Green Goblin in Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark in Hades Town. Oh, which, interesting! Which um, is my I new favorite Broadway great. musical. Hades Town is fantastic. Yeah. How great would it have been in... Oh, wait. You, you guys haven't seen... No, wait. John has. Stephen hasn't. Stephen... <sighs> Never mind. Yeah. Stephen, get your crap together. Hey, we <laughs> finally watched Shang-Chi, so, you know, we're catching up. Oh, oh my gosh. It's Gendo and the magic rings. <laughs> the dad is just Gendo, Stephen. Who's Gendo? No, no. From Evangelion. Oh, yeah. The dad. Yeah. The dad. He's just the dad from Evangelion. Yeah, he's just the dad from Evangelion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, true. Um, anyway, for our next episode, we got <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're doing a podcast. 
Yeah, we're, we're not done yet. For our next episode, we've got two uh, stories that we're going to be reading. Uh, revisiting Doctor Strange. It's, I actually think it's been a while uh, since we've had a Doctor Strange story. Uh, we're going to read Doctor Strange, The Oath. It's been a while since I've read Doctor Strange. It's been a while since I said Sanctum Sanctorum. <laughs> We're also going to read a Captain America miniseries called The United States of Captain America, which was a commemorative event for the 80th anniversary of the character? Yes. I really wanted to read the Captain America story where he fights Jordan Peterson because we're reading the freaking Jordan Peterson book for my workbook club, but we'll we'll go with this one because Aldo has the financial motivation, as in he already bought the <laughs> comics and hasn't read them yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hold so on. Fun. Do you have another book club apart from us? What? What? Yeah. I have a I have a work book club where we read you know how to win friends and influence people. Only now we're reading uh, how to be an alpha and alienate women. Also known as oh, no. twelve rules for life. It is not great. Oh my gosh! It is not good. Yeah. I I only know about him through a Sonic the Hedgehog meme. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll whatever I'll send whatever it to gets the chat later. <laughs> Yeah, no, funny funny story about the United States of Captain America is I bought the first issue when I went to, obviously I went to a comic book store, you know, a store where they sell comics, what? which are books, but um, I had, I had read like on my way into the store, like reading just on my phone, I was reading that apparently a lot of, um, a lot of conservatives were getting really mad with the book because the first issue, I guess, features a an lgbt captain america and so they were getting real mad and people were like hate buying it and they were also buying it because they you know because you know we live in that culture where like it's gonna be worth something someday maybe that type of thing yeah so i went in to buy it and i got the last issue and somebody was asking me why i was interested and i told them about it and they're like oh no is that the last issue and i was like yeah sucker it's gonna be worth something (laughs) (laughs) 